Okay, all systems go. Do y'all watch this over here or do y'all watch up here? Okay. Uh, we will not have the young people's class tomorrow night. So if you know any young people that may normally come, uh, let them know. I, I think I've covered those bases, but uh, anyway, no young people's class tomorrow night. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word, the opportunity to grow in grace, in knowledge of that word, so that we can be good and faithful servants. We recognize that the time is short, and it appears that there are dark clouds looming on the horizon, but we have nothing to fear. We have great opportunity. We have a personal sense of eternal destiny. We depend upon you for all things. And so we pray that you will help us to focus so that we can be good ambassadors and good Christian soldiers on the front lines, ready to use your mighty word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to get right to it this evening. <clears throat> I'm not going to go over what I've already done other than just scan. The main thing with regards to giving the gospel to other people, but not only the gospel, this would be a biblical truth to people, whatever form it may be. You don't argue. Now, you can stand your ground and not argue. Some people say, well, if you believe one thing and they believe the opposite, how can it wind up not being an argument. And the best solution to that is two, two words. Oh, boy, is this a great group, huh? <laughs> you see, when you're asking questions, you're not arguing. And you are forcing them to think they have to be engaged. And you have to make a concerted effort to do this because it is not natural. Your natural tendency is to start correcting people when they're wrong and explain to them that you have a wealth of knowledge in this area. You might even consider yourself an expert and, would, and they would be wise to heed what you have to say. And all that will do is put them off tremendously. So it's not a debate. It's not a contest. It's essentially how can you persuade these people of the truth and the best way to do it is to let them figure it out themselves by asking themselves questions. It's amazing how people don't ask themselves questions. They ask questions about everybody else, but when it comes to them, they really don't think that deep as to why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why am I where I am? Why do I believe the things that I believe? And I'm not talking about young people. I'm talking about adults great majority of people have never crossed those bridges. They have no idea. Somewhere along the way, they picked up tidbits of information. They picked up practices and habits and certain things, and that's what make them what they are. And when you challenge those things with questions, you have gone a long ways to rattle their cages. And we're not trying to just rattle their cages, but we are challenging them to think, and we do that with questions, and we do not argue. 
And when they sing, say something that we know dogmatically, equivoc unequivocally, that it is wrong, we just ask them, okay, where's your source? Where do you get that idea? I was talking to uh, a prisoner in Florida that uh, Carrie and I have been sending information to a, a tremendous number of books. He's already read The Reign of the Servant Kings. He's read all of my material, most of the colonel's material. He's like a sponge. He just can't get enough. And he teaches Bible class, I think it's two or three times a week. And I'll tell you what, I have it easy compared to what he has because one thing, he's got people coming in and leaving. Just about some, some t the time someone starts really catching on, uh, they get in a fight, they get put into sol a solitary confinement, or they move them to another prison. He's got another whole new group there. And there's, of course, a lot of people are there who are not authority-oriented. And when he is teaching them doctrine from the Word, uh, many times he gets challenged on it. And he was asking me, well, what do you think, uh, I, what's the best way to handle this? And you have to remember, these people are carrying their feelings on their sleeve. They've they got a chip on their shoulder. And all you have to do is look at them wrong, and they're ready to fight, a lot of them. And so if they say, if you're disseminating doctrine, and they say, I don't believe that, I don't agree with that, or whatever it is, and you say anything to try to... Not challenge that, but even to not, not even to correct it. If you don't go along with their line, line of thinking, they're already ready to disrupt. And so I said, well, the best thing I think to do is to ask questions, right? Said, and they're not, you're not challenging them. You're just trying to get information. So when they say they don't agree with this, this is, uh, this is not, the, not what they believe is truth. And so the best thing to do is just ask them, okay, what's your source? What are you basing that on? I mean, we all have opinions, we all have ideas, and they all have to be based on something. So if you don't agree with what a person would be teaching in the Bible, uh, obviously if he's teaching it correctly, and it appears that he is, that they really have a problem with the Bible. They're not using the Bible as their source in order to make their decisions and to form uh, their belief systems. So... The natural thing would be, okay, if you're not using the Bible, obviously what you're saying doesn't agree with the Bible. So what is your source? What are you basing those decisions on? And I don't care how tough you are. That might set you back a piece because most people, they don't know. Somewhere along the line, they heard something. They picked up this tidbit of information. And you ask them to substantiate their claim with documentation, with some source or did it just come out of thin air? If it came out of thin air, that's all right, but let's get it on the table. Let's say, okay, I'm basing my decisions on what I see as the infallible Word of God, and you're basing your decisions and what you believe on what? Well, I heard somebody say so-and-so. Oh, okay, well, who was that? When was that? Well, this was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, somebody you can't remember said something and you're basing your eternal destiny on that? Am, am, am I getting this right? You see what I'm saying? So that's how you don't argue. Every time that you are incensed, someone has perverted the truth of God's Word, and you want to bring out that double-edged sword and whack them to pieces with it. 
That'll show them. Surely that'll get them straight. You might as well be using it on yourself. You're cutting yourself to pieces when you do that. The wall goes up. They get on their defensive and... No longer does anything that you say even penetrate because now it's a competition. Now it's them against you. You don't have to go there. Let's just go through a lot of this uh, discernment. We've gone through most of this. Um, let's see. Just You can't ask them why enough times. And you don't have to just say why. You just, oh, really? Uh, where did you get that idea how did you come to that understanding? Uh, I mean, a lot of things you can say other than why, but essentially that what you're, that's what you're saying. Why? Why do you believe what you believe? Okay. Um, when, by the way, a lot of times they'll say, well, where did you get that? Well, it's in the Bible. So. Okay, what's your next question? One word. Where? Oh, remember, and they, it's in there somewhere. It's over here, it's over there, it's somewhere. By the way, what do you do when they say it's in there somewhere and you know it's not? Hmm? Well, you say where, and they say, I don't know where, it's, I just know it's in there somewhere. What do you do then? Oh, y'all are stuck already. <laughs> you know what's coming, it has to be a what? A question. So what would be the next question? Come on, y'all, think. Well, they would just say, I, some, some, I read it somewhere, and I read it somewhere in there. That's a good one. Can you find it? Uh, when they say, well, no, I don't know where it is. I just, or you might say, don't you think it's important to verify it by finding it? I mean, wouldn't that be a good question? I do is, if you're asking them, is it important that you know where it is? And if they say no, then, you, then the other, you're forced to conclude. But it must not be very important then. If you're basing something on something that's in the Bible, and I ask you, isn't it important to know where it is? And you're all not really. What well, must not be even worth bringing out to substantiate this? And then I would say, is that right? <laughs> See, you always put it back on them. Because if I said, well, let's see, you said it's in the Bible, you don't know where, and I ask you if you thought it was important, to know, don't you think it's important to know where it is? And if they say, no, not really, then I'm the only thing I can conclude is it must not be that important. I, is that right? And what are they going to say? You don't know. That's the fun of it. You don't know what it's going to be, but whatever it is, you're going to come back with another question. The only thing, and this is what we went over, I, I'm not going to the notes, I'm just... Uh, extemporaneously going over this review, and that happens to be that there is a point in time when you quit asking questions and you start imparting information. And the best signal for that is when they start asking you questions. Now, there's two ways that people can ask questions, and you have to read their body language. You have to pay attention to the tone in which they speak. The questions can be challenging. It's like, oh, yeah? Well, what about this? That type of attitude. And you handle that in a certain way. But when they are asking questions like, really? Are you, where is that? See the tone and everything? That's when you, what are you going to do? Wouldn't you like to know? 
No, you quit asking questions then and you start imparting information. And you have to have your radar out. You have to be alert to recognize these things. Just as we read the Bible, you know there's certain keys that you have to understand. If you don't know dispensationalism, you can't understand the Bible. If you don't know the difference between positional and experiential, you're going to get over your head very quickly. And it's the same thing when you're talking to people about God's Word. You have to have that same type of discernment and the keys. And you can tell if you are asking them questions that they are going to start withering. I mean, literally before you. They might be all pumped up ready for a big, a big debate. And you start asking them questions and they kind of lose their challenging posture. And you ask them a few more and they kind of start slumping down some. You ask them a few more and they're, they're just wilting right before you. And all you're doing is asking questions. You see, when you ask the questions, you put it on them. They have to speak and tell you what they believe. And that's very difficult for people who have no idea what they're talking about. And most people you're going to be talking to fit that category. Now, we don't want to strut around and think, oh, well, we are... We are Bible scholars, and I'll just, I'll just pick anybody, and I can, I can bring them to their knees. Now, that's arrogance, and you're going to go down in a fall. I'm just trying to help you use smart tactics. Yeah, they're tactics. They're things that we should be able to do, but it's not natural. You have to acquire these capabilities. You have to think about them. I know that uh, you all all know Caleb. Caleb Hare. Caleb Hare is going to go to a, a debate uh, this Wednesday. And I wrote an email and um, I said, be sure to tell Caleb to slow down. Because Caleb is very smart and he, he does a tremendous job when he does the debates because he is so prepared. But he talks fast anyway. And you add nervous tension to that and it sounds like a record, you know, just going way too fast. And so I told, I, I, in my email, I said, he can do it. He can slow down. And when he does, he's going to find out that he can emphasize the words that he wants to. And he can use the inflection in his tone to also bring out nuances that people will never get if it's just a brrrr, if it's just a blur. But you have to make a concerted effort to think about those things whenever you get up to a debate. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because you have to do the same thing with regards to asking questions when you're standing before either an unbeliever or someone that is challenging the validity of the Bible or has embraced false doctrines and you're going to talk to them about this. You can't only think about what you're going to say. You have to think about these tactics because if you don't, you're going to fall in your old mode. And before you know it, you're going to turn them off. They think it's a competition. And they're not paying any attention to what you're saying. They're just trying to win. We all have to do this. And I've talked to some of you. Some of you, I know every, we get opportunities all the time to talk to people about God's Word. And most of you are saying, I fell flat on my face. I forgot about asking questions till just about it was over, the time it was over, and then I tried to squeeze a few in. So this is, and we're not going to be perfect, 
But you stay out of the argumentative mode. You make people think they, they have to stay engaged. All these things are great productive things if we can just remember to ask them questions. Let's see. Let's get by all this. Um, don't try to impress them with all you know about the Bible. And another thing, I mean, it sounds like I'm just criticizing you. And maybe in a fashion I am. And I'm also criticizing myself because we all have our methods that we've acquired over a period of time. And sometimes when we're talking to a, a person that doesn't hardly know the Old Testament from the New Testament, and whatever issue we are discussing, we start throwing in tidbits that they have no frame of reference for whatsoever. And we think that's okay. It kind of shows them that we know what we're talking about. But what happens sometimes is when you're discussing a subject and you're trying to keep it simple and you bring in doctrine that is extraneous to what you are trying to discuss, you keep on talking and you get back on the subject, but you know where they are? They're back there when you brought up something and they thought... What? And they not, they're not saying it, but what in the world is that? And you're back on the subject. You've been talking for five minutes, and they're still wondering, what did he say? What was that? Just because you threw in a tidbit that wasn't even relevant. Again, these are things that we have to concentrate on. Keep it simple. Because that's, that's all they can, they, can, they can handle for the most part. Okay, let's get down to, uh, oh, another one of the keys, another part of the discernment is when you're talking to somebody, it's not going to take that long to find out if they're really interested, whether they're really open or not. If they are not, well, you know what to do if they are. You keep asking them questions. The best thing, this is not a hard and fast rule. But what I try to do is keep asking them questions until they start asking me a question. And when they start asking me a question and it's not challenging me, then I start giving answers. But eventually you're going to find out pretty quickly whether they are positive or not. What I'm, you know what I mean by positive. Are they hungry? Are they interested? Do they want to change the subject? Or what, where are they? And if they're really not interested, they don't show any positive signs, then... You, you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, He's going to give you uh, direction. He's going to give you uh, some discernment that maybe you, you might not know that you have, and you, you don't have it until the Holy Spirit is guiding you. But there is a time to stop talking about something if they are totally negative. doesn't mean that you're never going to bring it up again, but you want to live to fight for another day, and, and, and why should it's like talking to a rock or a chair. If they're not humble, if the Holy Spirit is not convicting them, if they're not interested, you need to realize this is going nowhere, and if they want to change the subject, that's fine. But what we don't do is try to force it, never force it. You don't want to argue, you don't want to beg, you don't want to cajole. Coerce, nag, bag, badger people. None of that. You don't have to do any of those things if they are, are really positive. And you don't want to talk to someone that's not positive because it's not going anywhere. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. 
Our job is to give them the truth accurately. The Holy Spirit will do the convicting. If a Christian understands this, he or she will not feel rejected when someone refuses to accept the truth they impart. Don't take it personally. When we are not, we are not responsible for the negative volition of others. You have done your job well when you have given the gospel or biblical truth accurately to someone. You haven't wasted your time even if they don't accept the thing you said. You hear that? I want to make sure that sinks in. When you impart God's truth to someone, you have not wasted your time if they don't buy it at all. You haven't done that. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10, 11. These next few things I'm telling you are very important. It will make a big difference with regards to you standing firm for the truth. Isaiah 55:10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You understand the analogy here. When God brings the rain to bless a believer, who else does it bless? It blesses everyone. And so he's going to make an analogy here. He says, So shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereinto I sent it. Now I pondered uh, this verse for a while because I always understood that if I spoke God's word, this would apply. And I, you know, maybe it does, but look at what it says. So shall my word that goeth forth from my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereinto I sent it. Well, when we are disseminating doctrine to people, we're using God's word, but it's not coming directly from God. It's coming through us. So does that mean that, it, that it's not going to accomplish what God wants? because it's coming from us? Does it mean that the thing for which he had sent it is not going to prosper? I had pondered this for a while. Have you ever thought about that? And I thought, what is the answer to this riddle? And this is what I think it is. not here hold on just a minute let me see if it's on the other I remember what it is but I want to get it word for word it might be on the 12 font do we have the 12 font up or the regular let's see yeah here it is now let me get down to where we are I might not have got it on here but I want to see Yeah, it's here. I don't have it on the 24 font, but I'm going to give it to you. Okay, you remember where we are. God's word does not go out from his mouth without accomplishing that for which he intended it, and it will prosper where he wants it to be prospered and so forth. So here, this is it. When you impart Bible, biblical truth to someone who rejects it, you have not failed, nor has God. You hear that? You haven't failed, nor has God failed 
when a hard-hearted person rejects biblical truth. Here it is. He accomplished something in you because his word has prospered in you. And because his word has prospered in you, he will prosper and reward you. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is pretty profound if you understand it. When you give the word to somebody, God's word, he says, my word never goes forth without it accomplishing that which I intend. And he's going to prosper his word going out. And so when this is essentially what I'm saying. If you're extolling Bible doctrine to someone, it may be the gospel, it may be a particular doctrine, and they are hardcore negative, no, I don't believe it. You have not failed. God has not failed. And what we saw here in Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 55, verse 10 and 11, still holds true because his word has already accomplished something that he intended because it's coming out through you. You got that? He's able to prosper you. Let's look at the verse again. Let me see if I can switch back and forth to the big deal, the big font. Okay, here it is. So shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth. As, as I'm up here teaching you Bible doctrine, or as you are reading the word and the Holy Spirit is making it clear to you, and he, the, the, the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit is at work in you, that's God's word coming out of his mouth. You see? And then, it shall not return unto me void. Any believer that is taking in doctrine, God's word is going forth. And it is going to accomplish that which I please. What is it that he wants, that he pleases when his word has gone out into our souls? Then we grow spiritually. We become more like the image of Jesus Christ. God is vindicated. He is justified. And he is able to reach others through us. That is part of what happens when his word goes out. It comes into us. We metabolize it. And then it comes back out of our mouth. It has already accomplished that for which it was sent through us whether they reject it or not. All they've done is blotted themselves out of the picture. All they've done is made decisions that is going to keep them in the prison of unhappiness and despair. That's what it's done for them. So even in that sense, it's accomplishing something even in their life. But it's not about their life, it's about our life. So it says he will accomplish that which which I please it to do, and what he pleases it to do is be bountiful within us. And it shall prosper in the thing whereinto I send it. What is the thing? Us. We are the thing. Isn't that great? The reason this is so important because you'll never look at rejection the same if you understand this. All the, reject, the, the, the negative people are doing when they reject the gospel, when they re reject biblical truth, is in their arrogance and stupidity is saying, no, I know better than that. I'm the smart one. 
this, this, this isn't true. And they, all they're doing is saying, okay, you don't want this. I've sent my ambassador. I'm offering you the gift of giving you all these great things. And you say, no, 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 they're out because of their own decision. But because they reject it, God didn't fail and you didn't fail. It's accomplishing within you, that word, that for which he has purposed it. Now, do you see that in a new light? I think that's tremendous. Yes. Well, she said, isn't it kept in the heavenly records and the angels what know it too? Is that what you say? Yeah. They witness it. I think the angels, it wouldn't it be great if, if angels could, could be visible to us. I say it'd be great. I mean, we would do what the guys at the tomb did probably. I mean, they would come in and say, I got great news for you. And we just, you know, we just melt down right there. That's probably why God doesn't let them be visible for us. But there may be multitudes right here, right now. And they're not only applauding that his word is going forth in truth, but here are people that are hungry, that, are, that want his truth, and it is going to accomplish in their lives that for which he intended, and they are going to be prospered regardless of whether anybody accept what they say or not. And the angels are just, we can't hear them, but it's possible. And it doesn't have to be a group. It could be you and one other person. The guy that comes in to fix your refrigerator and you start talking to him. And you give him the gospel. No, 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 you've got to be baptized. You've got to be good. You've got to blah, 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 blah. The whole smear. And you're asking him questions. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. I've got to get back to the refrigerator. Well, the angels are still applauding. They're applauding you. Because God's word is going forth. And it's accomplishing that which he intended. To me, that's big news. And when I understood that, I thought, why should I ever be afraid of people rejecting me again? Because their rejection, isn't it? It's not even about their rejection. Now, God will deal with them in his time for being so stupid and asinine and arrogant to refuse the pearls that are being laid before them. And they are just like swine. They no longer recognize the pearls than swine do. And that's why there's a time when you, okay, I'll pick up my pearls and I'll go on. I'm not going to try to impress pearls with my, I mean, impress swine with my pearls. Okay. That was my little bit of a review, but it wasn't all review. That last part wasn't. I didn't give you that last time. I might give that part again Thursday night. There's people here that need to hear that, don't you believe? I mean, they're not here, but they will be here Thursday night. Maybe. Okay, new ground, planting new ground here. We haven't gotten into this. Rejecting the Bible. What you're going to find is as you talk to people, the more you talk to people, and we always use what as our source? The Bible. We shouldn't be shy about it. I'll tell anybody, my life's whole direction, everything that I am, everything that I believe, everything I hope for is based on this book, upon what I believe is God's revelation of himself to man and his plan and everything. It is, it is profitable and it is completely and thoroughly 
Everything that we need to have for life and godliness is contained in this book. Now, that is what I believe. What do you think people are going to do when you say that? They they might as well paint a big old target like the Target stores. Might as well paint that right on your Bible. In fact, that would be a good idea. If if I had some big Target stickers, I'd paint it right there on my Bible. Well, what is that Target for? Well, you'll probably have some pot shots here. Where do you want me to hold it? Here's the bullseye. Because it's a target. You believe, everything you believe is on, based on the Word, so what do you think they're going to attack? The Word. They don't have anywhere else to go. And this can be a hard nut to crack. And we're not going to crack it tonight, but we might shake it up a little bit. Since Christians use the Bible as their absolute guidebook, we can anticipate attacks on its veracity. If one can poke holes in the Bible, then they can undermine and discredit your beliefs. That's what Satan does. That's it. For people who, like yourself, are students of the Word, more than anything else, he's going to try to poke holes in your confidence and your faith and trust in God's Word. We must be prepared to deflect their attacks on the Bible and show them that the Bible is reasonable, rational, and logical. And a lot more, but at least it is that. We need to explain to them why we believe it is God's revelation of himself and his plan to us. I think rather than just preaching to somebody, you might say, would you like to know why I believe that the Bible is the Word of God? And I base my whole life on what it says. Would you like to, to know that? What are you going to do if they say no? What would you do? <laughs> well, why not? Well, I'm not interested. Why? <laughs> I mean, and you can only take that so far. I mean, eventually you're going to say, okay, well, have a nice day. Go to hell. No, you're not even supposed to think that. One of my points, and I'm not there yet, but I might as well make it now. These people are not our enemies. I have a personality that takes things against Christ and the Bible personally. And I'm very competitive. And I really don't like people to do that. And I get very close to not liking the people that do that. And that's not even the issue. That Isaiah 55 really helped me out on that. Because I want to just raise the volume. I want to swell up like a big blowfish. I want to intimidate them. I want to show them how absolutely ignorant and imbecilic and moronic they are. And they are pompous, arrogant asses. And then I have to rebound. Y'all are looking at me like, boy, he's, he's really bad. Bad, bad, Pastor. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm looking at a whole group of them. See, the reason I can say that because I happen to be a member of the human race, contrary to what some may allege. And I know that's what we want to do. And the whole thing is, what does the Bible require us to do? Love them. No, Lord, I don't want to have to love them. I don't even like them. I want to choke them. Love them. Okay, well, I can't do it. You're going to have to help me. 
fruit. I can't even sigh with this. Okay, so they are not our enemy. What happened? It went on? Hello? Is, is it on? Okay. Um, okay, here's a quote. I, got, so I, I, I found some pretty good quotes in the Brilliant Call. By the way, every one of y'all ought to be getting the Brilliant Call. And if you're not, I don't know why not. It's free. Most of you have computers. And it, it'll come to you. You can get it on, on the computer or, or they can send it to you. Here's a quote. Any person of ordinary intelligence anywhere and at, the, at any time can know that God exists as the creator of the universe. Psalm 19, 1 through 6 and Romans 1, 18 through 20. Okay, let's stop right there for a moment. What is that saying? By the way, do you know what Psalm 19, 1 through whatever, what does it say? 1 through uh, 6 is all about? The heavens are declaring the glory of God. That's God's message in the stars right there. So they can know, not only from the creation, but there's also a message there. Most people don't know it, and they think it's, it's uh, astro astrology and heretic, but it's not. Anyway, this writer understands this. That's one way that they can know, because God's message is in the stars. And also, in Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 18, what is that about? Do you all know that? Do y'all know that? Y'all need to get up on your bi uh, bibliology. This is where it says that uh, through the creation, God has essentially demonstrated his power and who he is and that everyone who understands the creation and experiences the creation knows that God exists and they are without excuse. All right, go to, a, go to a page in your Bible, a blank page. I don't care where it is, and I want you to write these two verses in there, these two places. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, and Romans 1, 18 through 20. Now, out of this, they can know that God exists. One of them has to do with the stars and the celestial bodies. The other one has to do with earth itself. And any person of, of a, a normal intelligence, unless they are an imbecile or mentally uh, handicapped somehow, they can understand God exists. So why would we waste any time trying to prove to somebody God exists? Because God has already told us in his word, they know that he exists. And they are without excuse when they try to make a big deal about whether God exists or not. That's absolutely foolish. In fact, the Bible says in two places in Psalms, he, who's, he, who, um, he who does not believe in God, he refuses to believe in God is a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's how it says it. What? I think it's Psalm 14.1. Somebody might check me on that. Okay, so what we're essentially saying is when you're talking to anyone that is of, of a rational, most people we meet, the, very few people do we meet that really are not are what we might say non-compassmentous, which means they are just, they, 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 they can't put it all together. Now, I'm not including those people, but that's a very small percentage. Most people you run in contact with are going to understand 
that they see the stars, they see the moon, they see the, the sun, they see the planets, they see these things, and they see the earth itself. And God, well, let's, let's go to Romans 1, 18 really quick. And I want you to highlight this verse if it's not already highlighted. Verse 18. I like 18 because it starts out saying, for the wrath of God. See, this is what the people don't want any part of. They don't want to be accountable to God, so they just say it doesn't exist. But this is saying the wrath of God is revealed and they are accountable. Here we go. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident in them. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And by the way, who are those, who are the men or mankind who suppresses the truth in righteousness? Everybody. Verse 20. For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes and his in eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. Look at this and underline it. So they are without excuse. So when you're talking to someone that's an unbeliever and says, I don't believe in God, I'm an agnostic or, an, or I'm an atheist, then you know he's stupid, he's lying. He knows it. He's just trying to dodge accountability and say, well, as long as I don't acknowledge it and I don't know, there's, there is no such thing. And when I talk to someone like that, I talk to him in such a way that I want him to know that I know that he knows that there is a God. Do I need to say that again or did you get it? Huh? Okay. So there's no equivocation about it. I mean, the Bible says it right here. God's put it in them. He, they know that there's a God, and they're sitting there, oh, prove it to me. There's no proof. Blah, 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 blah. I've told them before. I said, you know what? You might as well be braying to the wind because I know better. Because the word, of, infallible word of God tells me that he put it in you, that you know that there is God, and you're, holding, you're accountable to him whether you want to acknowledge whether he exists or not. Okay, uh, you want to go to Psalm, well, let's go to Psalm 2, Psalm, that is Psalm also, Psalm 19.1. Uh, See, he caught both the celestial and the terrestrial with regards to this. Psalm 19, beautiful, beautiful verse. Psalm 19, 1. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Now, what we're seeing here is they are declaring something. Can, star, can, can stars talk? Do you hear, if you hear stars talk, don't tell anybody. Because I know, you know how I know the, that stars don't talk? Because the Bible is just fixing to tell us that they are silent. But they do have a message. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. However, their line, and the line here means their message. Their message 
has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. And then it goes on. I don't want to go any further. But see, it has a message. There's actually, if you want to break it down this way, God has revealed himself in creation in the celestial sphere, according to Psalm 19, 1 through 6, and in the terrestrial, which is the earth itself, Romans 1, 18. And how else has he revealed himself? Actually, two, I can think of two other ways. You get, th- think, what are the two other ways God's revealed himself? Are you all thinking? Come on. His word, and what else? And Christ, right. So we just, boop, 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 boop. There's four right there, right? We have the heavens, we have the earth, we have the living word, and we have the written word that God has revealed himself. Okay, we're, we're percolating along now. I think we're thinking. Now back to our notes up here. So, did you look at that? Okay, that's what I thought it was. Okay. Um, now, we covered the first sentence there. I don't know why I went off on a toot on that, but sometimes I do that. I think it's important. It just hits me. Y'all should know this. Y'all should be able to go to the just boom, 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 just like that. Such a person also has a conscience in which God has written his moral law. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. That's another important key verse there. Because everybody has God's own law, what's right and wrong, written in their own heart. How do we know that? Because it's said, and here, I don't take the time to go there. I'm already behind. So <laughs> his moral law has been written there. Knows that he or she has uh, broken this law many times and realizes there must be judgment from God as a result. See, this is what everybody, all these unbelievers, all these negative people, they always want to change the subject. And they just want, I don't believe in God. I'm agnostic. I don't know. And uh, the Bible, how do you know that Bible? the Bible is the Word of God? I've got about 12 or 14 more pages of, man, is it wonderful stuff. I got it at a conference, and it impressed me, and I'm going to teach it to you, those who say, well, how do you know, you know it was written by men, and how do you know it was convoluted, and how they get the books together and come up with all this and blah, blah, blah? Can you answer those questions, by the way? You will. They're trying to dodge accountability. And they know that they've broken his law. And they don't want to acknowledge it or see him as the one that they're answerable to. When the gospel is preached, the sinner knows by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that this is the truth and is only and the only means of escape from the wrath to come. You remember what we saw in Romans chapter 1, verse, what was it, 28? Remember it started out, for the wrath of God is being demonstrated. Remember? That's what they're trying to avoid. And so they just simply, isn't that childish? It's the most childish thing in the world is to say, Oh, I'm not, I don't want to be accountability. I'll just say, well, he doesn't exist. Ha, ha, ha. Ali, ali, oxen free. Yeah, all the way to hell. There are, however, many persons who resist this, the witness of creation and of conscience, and we should be prepared to reason with them. God offers to all 
Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Isaiah 1.18. We don't argue. We won't dispute. We don't preach. We reason with them. They are asserting that this doesn't make sense and you're a wacko weirdo. Very few people accept this. Look at all the religions in there. What makes your religion right? What makes the Bible different from the Koran? All these issues are thrown at you. And you can sit there very peacefully knowing that God says, okay, first of all, he knows I exist. He's trying to uh, uh, dodge accountability. And you're not going to do any good of arguing with him. You're going to reason with him. You know what that reason means? You're going to give him evidence. We have our faith in the, in the Word of God, not because our parents did. It's because it is the only reasonable, rational, logical conclusion anyone would come to if they are open. If, if they're arrogant and they have an axe to grind, they'll never come to that conclusion. And they'll come up with a thousand reasons why the Bible isn't the Word of God and this, it's just another religion. They'll bring up all these things. But you know that they know that God exists. They're trying to dodge accountability. And what you do is throw it right back on them. Okay, if the Word of God is not the Word of God, and God doesn't exist, okay, you explain a few things to me. And I want to know your source of why you believe this. First of all, I want you to explain to me how the world came into being. Number one, can you explain that one? Number two, what happens after you die? Well, you just turn into worm bait. Really? Okay, fine. Based on what? Because I have a book here that has at least five types of evidence that has been used throughout history. It's been assailed. It's tried to, they tried to destroy it. And it, has, it, is, it is the book of the ages. And it tells me otherwise. Now, you said that when we die, we become worm bait. I won't just... Where's your documentation? Where is, where is your source that you come up with that idea? Or is that something that you just made up on the spur of the moment? What is it? Where's the ball then? Is it in their court? You know what? They don't want to go there. I told you the other day, Karen, I've been dealing with this unbeliever. And she threw some questions at him. You know what? He didn't even attempt to answer them. Uh, these are too complex and take too much time and blah, 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 blah. He wouldn't do it. Okay, he's much more patient than I am. I would have cut him off dead in his tracks right then. You don't answer my questions, I don't answer your questions. I've answered enough of your questions, now it's your turn. I'm not saying that's right, by the way. Don't follow that. I'm just saying that's just me. You don't always want to do what I say. You want to do what this book says. Sometimes that might be the right approach. Sometimes it might not be. See, there's no really hard, fast thing. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. So come and let us reason together. I don't think that you can re take that word reason and twist and contort it into argue in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't mean to debate. When people want to, if they say, well, the Bible isn't in, blah, blah, it's not this, they, it's written by a bunch of men, old, 
full of contradictions, and on and on it goes. I think sometimes you might ask them a question. Would you like to know why I believe it? And you don't know what they'll do. You don't know whether they're even going to be interested in what you believe or not. Let me tell you something, though. People stand aside and they take note of people who know why they believe what they believe. Because there's not very few people out there that, that know that. There's the people that can, can pair it back to you, a lot of things. But in a cogent, coherent manner to explain to someone why you do what you do and why you believe what you believe, you'll notice there will be a hush that falls over the crowd when somebody's willing to stand up and say something like that, especially if it's based on the Word of God. Uh, I do not like the clock because I would like to keep going, but I realize the capacity of the brain is somehow uh, connected to, associated with the circumference of the bottom or something. I don't know what the formula is. <laughs> I'm sure I said it wrong. We can only take so much at a time. And so we will continue uh, Thursday night. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word never goes out without it accomplishing, without it not accomplishing what you have intended, and it will prosper wherefore how you want it to prosper. Help us to really let that sink into our souls. That we will be eager to put forth your truth, not in a debate, not in order to set ourselves up, but because we are obedient servants and you have instilled in us a love for those who are lost in a dark place. So we pray that these things will go into our soul and that we will be able to use them on the front lines. For we pray it in Christ's name.